old joke. My father came home in the middle of winter, found me sitting in front of a roaring fire in the living room, which made him very angry because we didn't have a fireplace. <laughs> you are God's fireplace. Fire was designed to be somewhere. Fire was designed. It works best. It brings health and life, and we cook over it, and we gather around it when it's contained, when it's in the space that it was designed to be. A, a fire that is not contained can be destructive, can be harmful and hurtful. Uh, just ask California. The, the problems that we have sort of on an annual basis right now. It's a terrible thing, a fire that gets out of control. So one of the things that the Lord wants to do is he wants to talk to us in the season about fireplaces and the fire of God. Before I get into this morning's sermon, though, I want to just talk to you a little bit about something that the Lord is whispering to me about our finances. There are three stories in the Old Testament, some of them in the New Testament, about how God deals with people who find themselves facing a need that their resources cannot meet. And uh, when that gets... That, distance, that difference gets extreme enough. I've got such tiny little resources compared to the need that's in my life. They turn to God and they're desperate and they go, like, what happens? And the first story is this widow whose husband died. He was in the company of prophets. He dies. He died with debt. And his, his widow has two children and she has no means to repay the debt. And so the debtors are coming to claim her children, sell them as slaves to repay the debt. And she calls out to Elijah and says, look, please, what can I do? And he says, to, he says to her, what do you have in your house? And she says, I have nothing in my house except for this little jar of olive oil. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. The next story is Moses, and God says to him, I want you to take my couple of million of my people, and I want you to take them out of Egypt, and I want you to lead them through nations that are hostile to you, and we're going to go through the desert for the most part, and, in, and it's going to take a bunch of months, and you're not going to be able to carry enough resources, either water or food, but I'm going to take you through safely, and uh, you're going to lead this people out, and I'm going to lead you out from under the greatest military might. They were the superpower. Egypt was the global superpower. I'm going to lead you out from underneath them and we're going to go through the desert and we're going to pass many lands of other countries and, I, and you're the guy. And he goes, Lord, I, I, don't even think that, I, don't, I don't even think the leaders of Israel are going to buy that. And the Lord says, what's in your hand? He said, it's a stick. And with that stick, he parted the Red Sea, he called down manna, he defeated armies, he... Matthew, there's 5,000 men, probably 5,000 women, maybe 5,000 kids, 15,000 people. They haven't eaten for a bunch of days because they've been so enamored with Jesus and his teaching and he says to his disciples, why don't you feed them? <laughs> and they go, and so he says, what, what do you have? They go, we've got seven loaves here and a few small fish. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? They said, how many loaves do you have, Jesus? Oh, seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Can I just say, it's not the size of what's in your hand that counts, it's how you obey God with it. And for the most part, when I hit this place, I go, I, I keep staring at this and going, it's not enough. 
Lord, could you, could you increase this? And oftentimes the magic, the beauty, the supernatural is not in what you have, but what God tells you to do with it. To the lady who said, I got nothing, just a little jar of oil, he said, pour it out. To Moses who said, I just got the stick, he said, throw it down. The disciples said, we just got these few loaves and some fish. He said, break them up and hand them out. There's always a, there was always a plan in God. There's always a, a step that requires both faith and courage. It's not what's in your hand, it's what you do with, in line with what God told you to do. I think there's some people sitting here in a moment with too little and too much and you have a giant of a God in you who dreams great dreams for you. Father, would you teach us to walk this road with you? Lord, there is ample provision in you. This is an easy thing for you. Would you teach us how? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your generosity uh, to the church. There's usual ways we can give. Um, uh, we'll be talking in, in a week or two's time about the, uh, there's an upcoming, if the Lord is willing, we're going to back to uh, Africa. There's a couple of large leadership conferences we've been invited to. And the one is in Uganda. There's 800 to 1,000 pastors who are coming together. It's the first time after COVID they're allowed to. Um, Pastor Daniel, during this week, he said to me, um, one of the things that has come out during this COVID time, because people were so hamstrung, because the economy basically shut down, nobody had any money. So everybody just stayed home and they watched um, the memory sticks. Remember a couple of years back we put, uh, he said many, many pastors in Uganda have studied the, the Northland's <laughs> resources. They know it better than we know it. And I just wondered about how God has given it into our hands to begin to disciple a nation. This is an astounding thing for me, it really is. And so we're going back there and I think there's gonna be 800 to 1,000 pastors who are gonna gather uh, for the first time outside of, in a COVID you know, reality. We're gonna gather outside, there's a, we're gonna go tenting, camping, and we're gonna gather outside and we're gonna preach the gospel and so it's just an exciting thing. Anyway, more, more on that in just the future. I wanna to talk today about fire in the house and the concept that together we are the Spirit of God's temple. Last week we spoke about the scriptural declaration that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit because the blood of Jesus has been applied to our bodies and our lives and he's made us holy. He therefore qualified us to be the permanent habitation of God's Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit came to take residence on the inside of me because I believed in Jesus and that blood was applied. Jesus' sacrifice made me holy and eternally holy so that the Holy Spirit takes up residence and doesn't come and go because I messed up. In the old covenant, when people messed up, the, the sense of the presence of God coming and going, and so David prays in his psalm of repentance, take not your spirit from me, but in the new covenant, the spirit of God abides in the people who have been made holy. You were made holy because God fundamentally changed your identity. You were an object of wrath, but now you are a beloved child that will not change because of your behavior. If you're not careful and if you keep embracing sin, sin may harden your heart and that'll be bad for you. It's never a good thing to sin, so avoid sin. But it is not on the basis of my own effort, it's not on the basis of my white-knuckled ability that kept me clean enough so the Holy Spirit took up residence. It's the blood of Jesus that qualified me for his indwelling. 
But once he came to indwell me, I now love to cooperate with him in keeping this temple a sacred place. So you have changed identity. You are a child of God. We are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. This is who we are. So the Holy Spirit does not come and go, but he abides in us. He responds to who we are in Christ, not who we were before we were in Christ. So because that's a truth, I have a role. I have a responsibility to respond to his initiation in my life. He lives inside of me. He will guide me if I respond well to him, if I listen to his voice. Now, today, we're going to focus on the equally exciting truth that together we form a tabernacle, a temple in which God lives by his spirit. Last week, your body is a temple. Now we together, this gathering of people, if I, if I, standing at a river and I scoop some water up, I can drink a little from uh, the little that'll be contained in one hand. If I cup my hands together, I can, I, there's a little bit of splashing can go on. If we gather together, the synergy of everybody can contain a lot more than what one can contain. There is something about us coming together as the people of God in unity, the Bible says, in which the Holy Spirit dwells among us. The glory of the Lord settling on a group of believers is a profound and amazing thing. We can create pools of the presence of God, bonfires of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God sees when he sees a group of his people gathering anywhere, any day, any amount of people, if you'll gather together and understand the sacredness of that gathering, you can have a presence of God settle that is not just the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, but Holy Spirit now moving among us. Some people have never experienced this in church. But if you have lived in a season of the presiding glory of the Spirit of God in a church, it ruins you for anything else. And I find myself in an awkward position, as we used to say, on the horns of a dilemma. I am getting sick and tired of powerless Christianity. And that makes it really, really awkward because I'm leading a church. And I go, I, I really would like for us to experience the presiding glory of the Spirit of God as a normal reality. I'm not talking about those once in a while moments where the glory of God is in the meeting. I'm talking about living in the glory of God. And it is possible. It does require for us to understand and work together. So let me just take you through just a few things that I think the scriptures in the New Testament speak very clearly to this idea of us coming together as a temple and some of the things that Paul especially says, this is how you need to deal with it, but Peter as well. Number one, protect the temple. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He's just adjusting some of the things that are going on. He says, because they're, they're enamored with Paul and Barnabas and I follow this guy. And he says, look, the one who plants and the one who waters have their purpose. They'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. He says, for we are God's 
uh, co-workers in God's service. We're just people who are co-laboring with God. He said, but you are God's field. You are God's building. We're just working on the thing, but you are the treasure. Jumped with me to verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He dwells among you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. This sounds Old Testament, doesn't it? This is New Testament. For God's temple is sacred. I want to just pause there. This is the way God views this gathering. He goes, this, this is sacred. And you together are that temple. What do you have in your life that's sacred to you? How do you treat what is sacred? Because scripture says, don't you know you are a temple in which God by the Spirit wants to live and dwell and preside and rule over? You are sacred. You're God's temple. His Spirit dwells among you. Your, your togetherness is holy, sacred. Together you form that temple. And it's a fascinating thing that because of that sacredness, in the early church, people responded, both believers and unbelievers responded because they saw it as sacred. The, the old verb there, because when, when Paul says, listen, if you're gonna destroy, the verb, the old verb means to corrupt, to de deprave, to destroy. He says, if anybody corrupts or depraves or destroys that, that temple, that togetherness, God will destroy them because he's going, hey, hang on now. This is too precious. This is too sacred. This is too beautiful a thing. And the problem, I think, with most of us is that we've come to understand a gathering on a Sunday, an official church service. We look at that, it's not not as sacred to us as it is to God. There is a gathering, and I'm not talking about Sunday mornings only. I'm talking about when people come together in Jesus' name for his sake, a holy something is made, and God finds it extremely sacred. The church wrecker, Paul says, God's gonna wreck. Don't be that guy. Stop being that girl. Be somebody who's known for building up and not tearing down this togetherness. This is a sacred thing in God's eyes. This is a place on earth for the display of his splendor, to reveal his heart, to show the company of people who have oriented themselves under his rulership. This is his kingdom to be demonstrated on the earth. We owe our generation a demonstration of what it's like to be under his lordship. Because if no one sees it, if there is no glory abiding in the church, if there is no place in the city where people can go and experience the power of God and have lives transformed, then the, then the world has no need to just buy into another doctrine. Then we're no different from any other religion with its own set of rules and its own set of standards and its own set of theologies. We have to, we have to demonstrate something more than just a set of rules. Amen. So what's it worth to you? What are you, what are you willing to pay to, to accomplish that? 
Well, I don't actually want that. What I want to do is I want a safe place on a Sunday morning where I can come and we can go through some sort of religious ritual and then I can go home and check it off. Well, <laughs> come to the wrong place. You know, this is not us. So let me just talk to you about how, just quickly, some of the things that the Bible says, how you can protect the temple. Because, because get this in your heart and head. One of my responsibilities is to protect what's going on here, because this is sacred to God. So Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity. Let me take you to Ephesians 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Whose unity is it? It's the unity of the Spirit of God. See, when we come together, the Holy Spirit starts to preside. He starts to work together to bring us together. Why? Because we want a whole bunch of people forming a massive bowl, a container, in which His presence can live. So He keeps working unity. He said, now, make every effort to keep the unity, not to establish the unity. The Holy Spirit's already going to be working that, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is why selfish ambition is such a vile destroyer. Because selfish ambition, where you have those, James says, where you have selfish ambition and vain conceit, there you find disorder. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's bringing unity. But you have somebody driven by selfish ambition, they go, well, I'm not, I'm not elevated enough in this, so hey, everybody, look at me. Selfish ambition destroys the order of what the Spirit of God's trying to do. So Paul says, be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Protect the temple. Too many people with a casual indifference and with a, with a lack of understanding of the sacredness of, of gatherings. Again, please hear me. It's not this particular building or this particular time. Whenever God's people come together and with turn their hearts towards Him, it's a sacred thing to Him. Jesus said, if you'll meet together, I'll be there among you. Yeah. Just two or three of you come together, I'll be among you. It's a thing. It's a precious thing. Now, guys, now, when you do that, make every effort. So Paul says all these kind of things. He says, but among you, there should be no foolish talk or coarse jesting or, or, or he, he said, even a hint of immorality. He says, that these, are un, these are improper for God's holy people. When you, when you get the setting, he goes, this is not the time or the place for that stuff. Come properly clothed. If I want to protect the temple, see, is there is there a proper way to dress? Absolutely. Let me show you. Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy. It's almost like the Holy Spirit never misses an opportunity to define you as holy. We call him the Holy Spirit, and he goes, Thank you. You're the holy people. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Bear with each other. Forgive each other. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive just as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Should we dress up to go to church? Yes, with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Some people are improperly dressed in this church. They're grumpy. They're like, hey, it's unfashionable. Some people come without clothing. Clothe yourself, please. Put on a little humility. And get some patience. Come on, dress a little. Why? Because the Spirit of God, see, see, I have lived, we have lived for years in an environment of the glory of the Spirit of God. And we are ruined for anything else. What is appropriate to come dressed with is those attributes that are going to strengthen the integrity of the building so that the abiding presence of the Spirit of God is made manifest. The works of the flesh, Galatians 5 talks about immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. These things will only damage the body. See, if I can embrace the theology that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, I go, amen, bless God, hallelujah. I don't need any of you because the Holy Spirit lives in me and because that anointing is real, he teaches me about all things. And I can easily convince myself that I have no need for the body of Christ. So I can sit in my little holy huddle and I can, I can hit the internet and hear the 15 best sermons from the world's best communicators and feel like I'm being fed spiritually and I have no need and I'm fine. But you're poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. Because when you come together into this setting, when you see that more than just your personal body is a temple, but that we are a temple, we start to respond to one another with love and humility and kindness. Because it's not just you I'm serving. Because when we do, the Spirit of God moves among us in a greater glory. Protect the temple. How do I do that? Love furiously. Romans 5.5. 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So I can guarantee you, by the authority of the Word of God, you sitting in this meeting go, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? He starts, he just fire hose of love. If you'll respond, if you'll, if you'll be open, if you'll be, like, what do you want? Fire hose of love. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because love builds up. Love will set the temple aright. Love is the housing, the, the waterproofing, if you like, the fireproofing, if you like, that the Holy Spirit loves to inhabit. Lord, I would like you to take leadership. He goes, all right, I want you to love that person. 
The stinky one. Yeah. The one who talks too much. Yeah. The obnoxious one. Yeah. My preferences may run towards irritation or impatience or arrogance or abruptness or being uncaring or being dispassionate or backbiting or name-calling or slander or self-absorption. But I need to protect this temple. I need to protect this temple. When I surrender to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit, we're right back to love, humility, gentleness, patience. There are so many people right now who don't want what I'm saying to be true because they can excuse their worldliness. But I'm telling you, this is the truth. It says of the early church that no one dared to join them. They were a sacred temple. There was a sense of the sacredness about them. I'm not talking about believers. I'm talking about unbelievers. The holy presence that lived among the early church, even unbelievers were able to recognize that. They had such a high regard for the sacredness of God's presence that no one dared join them. Listen to this, Acts 15. None of the rest dared dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Greg, if we just do this, aren't we just fooling ourselves? No, no, when we get this right, when we, when, we, when we surrender to the Lordship of the Holy Spirit as a group of people, as a habit, habitually surrendering to the Holy Spirit's Lordship, you will discover more and more weight. Watch, watch what I'm, I'm prophesying. More and more weight of glory comes in the meeting. More and more encounters with the Spirit of God start to happen. More and more people get caught up in the Spirit. More and more supernatural breakthrough comes. More and more glory begins to settle on the meetings. And that starts a rumble outside the church. Even people who are not in the meetings will come to discern, come to respect the sacredness of something is going on. And that's why the Bible says, don't, Paul says, don't you understand? You are that sacred. In fact, the word that Paul uses is the Greek word naos, which means the most holy place. The outer temple, the holy place, and the most holy place. When Paul says, you are the sacred temple, he goes, you are the most holy place. Number two, commit to the temple. Protect the temple, commit to the temple. Peter, let's, let's go over to Peter so we're not just all Pauline. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Peter uses three metaphors about us. He calls us living stones in the, in the temple of God. He calls us holy priests in that temple. And he calls us spiritual sacrifices. 
I don't mind which one you want to use, but whether you're a living stone which has to take up its place and constantly be uh, uh, adjusting because you're growing and the people around you are growing and we're all growing together in the presence of God and we're all responding, whether you're a living stone or whether you're a holy priest who's facilitating the sacrifices or whether you yourself are bringing spiritual sacrifices, all of those require of you a commitment. Priests had responsibilities and duties. Without you, the temple cannot operate. We need your ministry. We need you to bring spiritual sacrifices like praise and thanksgiving and honor and prayer and generosity and care and tenderness and intercession. We need your sacrifices. Oh, the temple can go on without me. No. Whether you're a living stone or a priest in the temple or a spiritual sacrifice, it's going to require a commitment. So commit. Number three, find your place in the temple. Most people think, let me show you a photograph. Most people think that this is how the church should look. All equal stones, perfectly aligned, square. That's the way that, that's, now that's a church. I actually think what the Bible's talking about is this picture, this one here. And I think, I don't know how big you think you are. Well, then maybe you need to anchor us. And maybe you think, I'm just too small to be of any use. No, that little stone that fits just perfectly in that little crack holds everything together. Like living stones, together we form a temple, a tabernacle, a place, a fireplace where God's fire can consistently burn among us. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Ephesians 2. Now, therefore, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, with the holy ones, and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You are being built together to be a dwelling place for God by His Holy Spirit. We bring to the Lord a spiritual sacrifice. And in these moments, we want to allow the Holy Spirit to stir us, to rearrange our priorities, to enlighten our perspectives and to supply our desires. I'm gonna invite his fire to burn, not just in me, but among us. To realign, to burn up any dross, Anything that's displeasing, burn it, Lord. Bring life and health. 
And I believe he's here this morning to do just that. I think he's been stirring people's hearts already for months with deep yearnings. Thessalonians 4, Paul said to the Thessalonians, brothers, loved by God, we know that he chose you. You know how? Because our gospel didn't come to you just with words. But it came to you with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep convictions. Don't tell me people are preaching the gospel where there's no power, there's no manifestation of Holy Spirit, and there's no deep convictions. Because that always is the fruit of it. So when we say, Lord, I want your fire in the house, come Holy Spirit, one of the things, one of the things you should watch for is he starts deep convictions. They start to burn inside of you. You start to long for things of God. You start to long for the courts of the Lord. You start to long for the presence of God. You start to long for the voice of God. You start to hunger after the word of God. Something gets stirred inside of you. And I tell you the truth, just one touch from the Lord, just 60 seconds of an encounter with God, you, you won't, it'll, you'll reorder every priority. I look at the church, any church, holy people coming together, the possibility, if we understood this, don't you understand? You are a sacred place that God wants to dwell among you with his spirit. And I'd venture to say, but if we really said, Lord, I'm surrendering. I'll do whatever you want. That there might be a few things the Holy Spirit commissions us to do that are going to help seal up the cracks in the temple. Because you are the temple of God. And that temple is sacred. One of my greatest griefs in the last three years, I've watched people misunderstand or never understand this sacredness. And because they don't understand it, they can treat it as an unholy thing, as a common thing. And it's not common. Not to God. I'm going to just give us seven minutes to just sit in your seat, close your eyes, lean back, forget about people around you. The worship team is going to come and just lead us very gently in that. I just want you. Um, and I'm going to ask you to invite the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you come? There may be, there may be one or two people that the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go and love on them. and Maybe give them a word. Just pray for them. Maybe you won't get to it all in this meeting, but maybe, maybe this afternoon you can make some phone calls or send an email or invite someone around for dinner. Because I pretty much guarantee you this. I guarantee if, 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 if we all let the Holy Spirit be Lord, there would not be a single need among us.
because he knows and he cares. So let's be part of that. Lord, Holy Spirit, here we are. Not just as individuals, Lord, but as a people. We offer this temple, this togetherness as a sacrifice to you. And Lord, I pray that right now you release holy fire in this place. And I pray, Lord, that people would have supernatural encounters with you even as we spend this next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. As usual, after a while, some of the elders may be around to pray for some people. Don't worry about that. They just feel like the Lord said they should minister to you.
Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. Lord, in Jesus' name. We release healing now into bodies across this place. If you have a sickness or a disease or a pain, you just put your hand where it hurts in Jesus' name. Father, we release healing and health and we rebuke that pain. And we command, Lord, a new day. We speak life. Pray healing, Lord, upon your people. Lord, I pray across this place that you would begin to work in us the deep convictions that Paul spoke about. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would yearn for the things that burn in your heart. <laughs> that, Lord, uh, touch our heart, Lord. Break our heart with the things that break yours. Set us afire, Lord, for the things that are passions in your heart. Stir something among us, Lord, that we would not have believed if you'd have told us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.